Welcome to the Impactful Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Clark. For the last decade, I've had the privilege of learning from impactful leaders across the globe through my service in the Peace Corps and nonprofits. Their leadership has inspired me to highlight those among us who are truly impacting our world so that we may learn from them and be more impactful together. Yes, leadership can be learned. The guests on our show are providing direction, inspiration, and leading the way in their business and community through service. Are you ready to have an impact? Welcome to the Impactful Leaders Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to speak to a REI real estate investor. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, it's been a quick path from when we met a week <laughs> or 10 days ago to this interview, but I'm super excited to join you for it today. Thank you so much. So Chad is the owner of Turnkey Iowa. Um, he really wants to help people on change their lives, and that's through investing in real estate. So could you give a little brief message on what your mission is with Turnkey and then kind of what brought you into it? Sure. Yeah. Um, and I'll try to I'll try to keep it short. I can talk about <laughs> this for hours. OK, um, but really, our mission with Turnkey Iowa is to provide investors. So people that want to take money they, that they built up and invest in something, provide them an option to invest in real estate without going through a lot of the trials and tribulations themselves. Basically, we walk alongside of them in their investment with the years of experience that we have. And so yeah. basically helping to get investors get started in real estate. And we've seen that real estate investing really can transform us financially. Um, and we want to help spread that out to other people as well. I love that. How, so how did you get into it exactly? Like what, it's sort of a hard thing to break into. It's not something anyone can just say, let's get into real estate investing. Yeah, no, it, it's a good question because um, a lot of people are intimidated, uh, mainly by the big price tag. You, yeah. <laughs> um, so there are a lot of things you can buy or do for a hundred bucks or a thousand dollars, something like that. But if you're buying um, some real estate to rent out to someone else, you're probably paying a hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars of price, and you probably finance 75 to 80% of that. But nonetheless, you're buying something worth one to $200,000. And that intimidates a lot of people. Um, I actually see and talk with a lot of people that have kind of gotten stuck in education mode. So they've, they've learned a ton about real estate. And in some cases, they know more about like the details of tax laws or special strategies than I do. Um, but they haven't gone out and done it. And so a lot of people kind of get stuck at that, like getting started phase. Yeah. Um, I'd say kind of luckily we, we stumbled into it. Maybe we make our own luck, but we also kind of stumbled <laughs> into it. Um, about 15 years ago, um, some friends of mine and I would meet up monthly uh, for a dollar pint night at one of the local bars. <laughs> And initially, that was very much a social activity. Uh, and over time, it evolved to having meeting minutes, and we made a partnership agreement. And like, just over a few years, got more and more serious in terms of like trying to figure out what to do with our investable money. We were yeah. early in our careers, uh, small or no families at the time, out of college, like, oh, we have extra income now, what, what are we going to do with this? And so that group basically decided to like pool our brain power together and our, our assets or our money together into something like a mutual fund that we created within our small group. So we can put money in, take money out of, uh, of this investment group. And in that group, we've experimented with different investment types. So Early on, we were actively buying and selling stocks. Uh, and we realized we were putting a lot of time and effort into that and basically getting the same return as buying an index fund. So like, okay, that keeps us busy, but isn't like doing us much good. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, we started investing in tax liens and tax deeds. 
And that is a very interesting uh, business model. But basically, you, you take your capital. So let's say I would take my money and pay someone's property taxes for them. So if, if they didn't pay their property taxes on time, the government says, hey, we were expecting your property tax money as income. We're going to sell off this lien to someone else. So let's say we'd pay $2,000 or $20,000 uh, to the government to take care of those taxes. Now the owner needs to end up paying us back with interest. So we played with that a while. We don't need to spend 20 minutes on it here, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> again, we could talk for hours, but that's really interesting. Um, and then finally, we found and started working with buy and hold investment properties. So we'd purchase a single family home, do whatever renovation work we needed to do to make it rentable, <laughs> safe, livable, all that stuff, um, and then rent it out for the long term. And really, it, it went through that evolution probably over about five years. And so it took us a long time to build up the momentum um, in real estate investing. But eventually, we got momentum behind us. <laughs> uh, and we really scaled that, basically using, again, our pooled brains and our pooled money to test out different markets, different yeah. property values, different property managers, different contractors, different financing options, like testing all these different things to find a formula that we liked and, and worked pretty well. Yeah, yeah. What I love about what you said at the beginning is you get like some people get stuck in that paralysis where what you guys did was the imperfect action yeah, but it wasn't necessarily perfect in action, you know. <laughs> yes, um, right. How right. many? How many of you guys came together to form originally? Like, was it five? Was it just two or three? Uh, it was very at the very start. It was five, and then quickly it was seven. Like, still in the the social type of group and atmosphere, and then as things got serious, it turned into five again. So. A couple yep. of the people that were like in it for the social part, but not so much the investment part, like we're still great friends with them and we'll do yeah, social yeah. activities with them. But they decided, ah, eh, this this financial stuff as a side hobby is not really for me. So, but, yeah, sorry. T today, we still have five people in this. <laughs> that, that's amazing. So when it came to starting this up with a bunch of friends, did you... I guess one, were you guys friends before college? Um, so if I look at the five people that are still in it, um, yeah, I guess three, three of us were friends before college. Um, a fourth, um, we sort of picked up during college. Like that's okay. when he became one of yeah. our friends. And then a fifth uh, came along after college. I'm just trying to think of like the mindset, like, were you guys a bunch of entrepreneurs before like growing up and you guys were selling baseball cards <laughs> together on the playground and then you come together with this money and start doing this because to get five guys together to put their all their interests like their self-interest aside yeah and then you're also balancing maybe some maybe some things when you guys were growing up, there's like a number of ways that could play out. Like it's kind of tricky. That's why I'm trying to like yeah, understand right. the mindset right. there, how you guys were able to pull that off for so long. Yeah. Um, so the, the group does have a very diverse set of backgrounds right now. So um, there are like, yeah, a mix of entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. corporate people, and uh, yeah, I guess, and, and a tax guy. <laughs> <laughs> which is also an entrepreneur, but like the, the whole group and some of them fit a couple of these shoes are either like successful people in the corporate world, um, successful entrepreneurs, um, and, or in their entrepreneurial business, they do construction related activities or finance okay. and tax related activities. So it, it's, it's a pretty well-rounded group, um, related to real estate investing. Now we probably wouldn't be very good at like opening a restaurant franchise. <laughs> we don't have that mix of skills, okay. but yeah, we have yeah. a good mix of skills for real estate. Um, and, and we partially had those interests and desires when we started, yeah. but we partially built them up over time as well. 
what's the thing that you think that helped you guys move from that inaction to action? Like when people are stuck in that inaction phase, what do you see as the thing that most people just need to get, not get over, but like, what are the things people need to have in mind to start and just yeah. say the rest you'll, you can figure out on the way, but yes. this is sort of like how you begin. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'll start with saying there are very different personality types, right? Some, some people naturally are like ready, yeah. fire, aim. And some people are like ready, aim, 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 fire. And um, in the middle is typically somewhere of the best balance. Um, I guess to answer it about our investment group first, uh, we really got the ball started like pretty small and rolling pretty slow and it just gained momentum over time. So, you know, we were putting in $100 each per month in the beginning and okay, that it builds up, but you're not going to go buy a house. You're, you don't have a down payment unless you're waiting five years or 10 years or something of, of putting in that amount of money. But we, we started investing in stocks and boy, we, we ran numbers on real estate for probably a year, like trying to figure out what we were missing. Like, how does this look so good on paper, but we're not doing it. Or like people aren't shouting it from the rooftops. And finally we're like, all right, we're going to go look at properties. We found a realtor. Uh, she helped us find one and we're like, all right we're going to make an offer on this house. And the first offer on our house probably took us a week to think about and three or four different meetings with each other to talk it through. And the last house we bought, like, and I don't know which one it specifically was, I don't know right now, but uh, it was probably one member putting the numbers into our pro forma spreadsheet and saying, yep, looks good, let's buy it. So we, we've, yeah. We had a lot of storming and a lot of figuring ourselves out yeah. in the beginning and fine tune that to where it's really effective now. So that's that's my answer specific to the investment group. Um, I guess with, with people that are looking to move into real estate, um, I don't, I, I'm thinking about what my best advice is here. Um, <laughs> it's it probably, and this is tailored towards the analytical people, which I, okay. I talked to a lot of them. It's tailored towards them. Like think about your return on investment of the time and energy you're putting into education. Like if, if you're listening mm. to podcasts, if you're studying, if you're buying books, like how much cost does it make sense to sink doing that with no potential for return until you take action versus taking action and learning along the way. So a, a lot of times people will not count their lost time, lost energy as an opportunity cost. But I, I think, especially with the analytical group I tend to work with, um, it's important to think about that way. And yeah, also think about the downside. Like if this goes really bad, what's the worst case situation? How bad is that? And a lot of times it's it's, not nearly as bad as what people think. I love that. That's a great way to look at it. All that time that you're spending, the prepping, the prepping, the prepping. Next thing you know, two years where it's like, you could have, that could have been the difference. If you were looking to do this before COVID, we saw what yeah. happened with real estate in COVID or in COVID. And now you waited two years, COVID, like that real estate push has ended. Right. You've missed yeah. out on the golden opportunity when you could have pulled the trigger in 2020. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and, and there are um, people very prominent in real estate investing that have been talking about um, a housing bubble for like a decade now. Yeah. And at some point you can wait and wait and wait and try to time the very best time to buy something. But actually, if you do the math and you take the returns after about two or three years, of inaction, you mm -hmm. could have afforded to ride through a downturn. So in, in other words, like, yes, if you buy at the worst possible time, that's not good. But if you buy two or three years before the worst possible time and just ride that out, you're better off than 
waiting for the worst possible time and then some downturn yeah. and trying to buy it at the bottom. Um, a, a lot of people also think, yes, I'm going to buy at the bottom because it's the best deal. Well, it's the best deal because people are nervous about investing at the bottom. <laughs> and that applies to stocks, real estates, bonds, whatever. When, yeah. when prices are low, they're low for a reason. People are not liking those assets at the time. And there's a reason. And so, yeah, people can very much get caught up in their own heads about when to act and when not to act when I, my philosophy is just keep at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I love how you're approaching these things too, because you're bringing, when you were first explaining it, I was full on and agreeing with you. And then at the end, when you're talking about, there's a reason why people aren't investing at the worst time, because other people are nervous. I'm like, duh, that makes sense. So clearly you have that experience, but now that you have all this experience since you started with friends and now it's turned into turnkey Iowa, what, how do you guys help your clients and investors now? What is, do you think special about turnkey? Sure. Yeah. Um, let me add in one step in between, yeah, yeah. Uh, because I think it's important to understand our journey here. Um, the, so the investment group has been running for quite a while now. Um, we tended to get like the, the members of the groups tended to get their own businesses, their own families, other commitments outside of the group, maybe ramped up maybe seven years ago, something in that range. And basically our investment group stopped growing. So we leveled off and, and didn't focus more energy on growing the investment group. But three of the five members have now used basically all the stuff we learned in the investment group and built their own real estate portfolios individually or outside mm -hmm. of the investment group. And my wife and I have done that. Um, so we've had, we've also had our own single family home investments here in Des Moines for quite some time. Um, and we're trying to figure out the next step to scale that, to, to help other people get into that same arena. And that's where we came up with Turnkey Iowa. So we basically leverage all the learnings, all the skills, all the knowledge we gained through our real estate journey um, and essentially do the tough parts for other investors. And the investors can come in, purchase a house from us that has been fully renovated, all the inspections done, ready to go, deferred maintenance gone, and be collecting rent from day one. And so... The business model of Turnkey Iowa really is to produce a, an easy to buy turnkey product um, mm -hmm. where an investor can come in, purchase it with cash flow from day one, and we're basically holding their hand along the way. Um, and, and most of our customers buy their first property from us, and it is their first or second or third rental property. So it's typically not investors that have bought in that have purchased 50 properties before and they come to us for 50 to 60. <laughs> um, it's typically those investors that are wanting some help getting started and wanna leverage our experience and we'll help them buy their first one or two or three. And then what has naturally happened is, oh, that same investor wants to buy another one from us next year and the next year and the next year. And so we've built up our client base um, with some investors that are typically buying one or two a year from us. Okay. No, that's awesome. So you really have a knack for starting businesses with people that you really trust. First, all of your friends, now your wife. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. That's interesting because most people say, do not do that. They're like, do not go into business with family. Don't go into business with friends. But I guess when you're dealing with real estate and investing in this sort of stuff, you really have to make sure you have someone that you can trust. Yeah, I, I think it's a great point. And uh, not everything has been, you know, sunshine and unicorns for us either. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. um, our investment group actually about a year ago um, purchased a group of properties in Des Moines that we used as short-term rentals. So think Airbnb, VRBO. Yeah. Again, we wanted to pool our brains and our money and experiment in that area. So we bought a few. So we bought seven units in Des Moines to basically figure out and experiment with whether short-term rentals were right for us. 
Um, we ended up part like bringing another partner into mm -hmm. this new company. So we spun off a new company out of our main group, brought a, a partial equity owner in that had experience with renovating and managing short-term rentals. And to be quite honest, that has been a total disaster. Um, all trust is gone between us and that party. Um, a lot of expectations were, were not met and things have not worked out well there. <laughs> uh, it's very likely we'll end up having those as short-term rentals that we own, or sorry, yep. long-term rentals that we own. So kind of <laughs> switch them back to the business model that we know, or we'll sell out our equity to the other partner and they'll continue to use them as short-term rentals. Uh, but yeah, we, we have some very positive and some less positive experiences mm -hmm. with partnerships. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where it, thank you for being truthful too, because I mean, that's like one of those things that a lot of people sometimes don't want to share, but once we come to those realizations and we can talk about them, that's where you can just move on. Again, going yeah. back to that inaction phase where some people are like, they don't want to admit mistakes. And it's like, we all go through that. Right. Yes, but, yes. So and what, go ahead. Yeah, if, if you're not going, if you're not uh, accepting of making mistakes, progress is going to be really slow. So oh, it, yeah. if, if we hadn't jumped in and tried things and some worked and some didn't, uh, we would be in a very different place today uh, than we are. Uh, and, and sometimes trust and going fast is super successful for everyone. And sometimes trusting people and trying to move quickly uh, mm -hmm. isn't very successful. But I, I feel like if you don't do that, you're not going to make progress very quickly. <laughs> yeah. And then for those people who know somewhat know what real estate investment is and they're kind of thinking of going it, but they don't know a lot. Like what are some of the impacts that you've seen real estate have on your life, on the clients that you work with? Um, what are some of the benefits? We've already talked a little bit about some of the disadvantages or possible, sure. but what is something that, yeah. What are the advantages there? The impact? Yeah. Yeah. First to, to take another common misconception, basically off the table um, most people, including us, um, have professional property management in place. Mm -hmm. So if a furnace breaks down in the middle of the night, if a toilet starts leaking, something like that, uh, we don't know about that. Like the, the property manager gets a phone call, they take care of the issue. It's at our expense. So we'll see that, you know, in the portal or at the end of the month yeah, yeah. when we check, um, how things are going, we'll see that expense. Uh, but we're not engaged in that activity day to day. So just to, to remove that, yeah. um, we have almost no interaction with the tenants. Um, and in fact, um, I don't think I know the names of any of the tenants that live in our places right now, because that's handled by the property manager. Yep. So just to, to get that off the table, um, then, uh, Actually, you and I connected through JT Pels, who was on your yep. show. I think it was episode 16. I looked something back. like that. It's been a little bit now where this will be probably like 32, 33. So, okay. Yeah. Good for you. Um, so <laughs> J JT um, provides tax guidance and advice, which by the way, I don't from a legal perspective, I don't have any tax or investing <laughs> related licenses. So I'm not providing advice to anyone, but ideas and thoughts. Um, and, and I bring up JT, first of all, because he helped us meet. Second of all, because even just owning a rental property provides some great tax advantages to people. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's more on the, the tail side. So I always think about the dog and the tail, <laughs> that's yeah. the tail, which is nice to have and nice to have going the right direction for you. The dog side, like the main thing you're doing and why you're in the business is really for the appreciation. So if you think about um, the devaluation of the dollar over the last couple of years or the increase in prices of essentially everything uh, that we've seen, uh, that same thing happens to houses. Um, and so, if you buy a $100,000 house and put 20% down, you've put $20,000 into that house. 
Now, if there's 10% inflation, um, that house is worth $110,000. And basically on the 20,000 you put in, now you have an extra 10,000 of equity the following year. So you've mm -hmm. gotten a 50% return on equity. Now that's not typical. Um, in Des Moines, we see an average of three to 5% appreciation per year. Uh, but that appreciation ends up building assets and net worth quite quickly and yeah. it snowballs and it snowballs in a way that what we've seen is every two to four years there's enough equity in a property plus cash flow and i'll talk about the cash flow in a minute there's enough equity in a property and cash flow that it can be refinanced that equity taken out and basically now you can have two properties of that same value so these properties can double every two to four years. And now talking about cash flow, um, cash flow is tough right now. So the, the properties we have will basically kick off a small amount of money every month, um, but not a lot mm -hmm. because of interest rates. Yeah. Um, one or two years ago, they would push off several hundred dollars every month, uh, which was great. Now they're more at the level where they'll definitely cover their expenses. Um, and so the cash flow is lower, but the equity gain has been substantially higher yeah. because of inflation and the overall weakening of the dollar. So we talked about appreciation. Um, we talked about cash flow. I touched just a little bit on the tax benefits. Um, and then there's also the loan pay down. So basically your tenant is paying down the balance on your mortgage every month. So even in a very simple scenario, um, there's zero cash flow, appreciation is zero, you're still getting your mortgage balance paid down by the tenant every month. And so you invest this, and in, in my example, $20,000, and you, you can see that appreciation can very quickly grow that 20,000. Um, cash flow can grow it slowly, but also cover all the expenses, including paying down your mortgage. Uh, you have the mortgage pay down. And then typically from a tax perspective, you can use enough depreciation from the property to not pay any tax on the gain or the profits from your real estate. That's another rabbit hole we can drill down and JT would be great <laughs> at, and I can provide some amount of detail, but at the end of the day, in typical years, we're not needing to pay uh, income taxes on yep. the gains and benefits we get from real estate. Interesting, okay. And then, so when it comes to, those are the, well, do you have, do you have a good story too on how it's impacted someone's life? like? Sure. Uh, the mo most personal one is ours. <laughs> um, so my wife and I um, initially had corporate jobs. So yeah. W-2 uh, earner jobs uh, when we graduated college. And we worked in those for a while and basically had real estate and the investment group and stuff as side hustles. Um, with the investment in real estate and the doubling of houses, that I mentioned every few years, uh, we, we've come to a financial position where we are free to be flexible with our time. So it's the middle of the afternoon and I'm here doing an interview with you. Um, we, we do have a lot of flexibility in attending kids' events and yeah. um, holiday party we just had for both of the kids at their school, their sports, coaching their teams. Uh, so it, it's created a flexibility and a freedom in our lives that is really nice. And at the end of the day, that's what we're all here for. <laughs> Get to a place where we can spend more time with our family, take more time off and not just, you know, the yeah. typical nine to five. And now it's sort of like a beaten drum at this point, but everyone has talked about lifestyle change ever since yeah. 2020. Yes, so right. you were just ahead of the curve on that one. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. A lot of our investors are business owners um, or like 
high wage earners, yeah. high W-2 wage earners that are looking for a way to invest their money so that they don't have to work so dang hard in five or 10 years from now. Yeah. And, and it's a little bit paradoxical uh, because you can also get stuck in this trap. And I've seen it happen to many people where like working hard and earning more is just never enough. So people can get in that hamster wheel, whether it's in their own business or in the corporate world where it's more, 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 more without a goal or an end in sight. Like when, when will you make a transition to more of a lifestyle job? Um, and, and that's another, I don't know if it's a form of inaction or over, dis, over action, <laughs> uh, but, it, but it's another place people get stuck just like in the education mode when it yeah. comes to investing. That's where a lot of people I, that I've been talking to, they always talk about that why. Yeah. Like if you have like that purpose, it can kind of, it, it pushes you forward. Cause I've been really, I've personally been trying to work on more of, I get to, when we first started this, when we became profitable, I was like, oh, now there's a whole line of other issues. And before yeah. leading up to that, I was just like, when we become profitable, it's going to be psh, like, that's yeah. that. It's like, I made it. And then it's like, you get to this point, same thing. You get to this point. Or yeah, I right. always equated for the people that aren't net entrepreneurs like me a couple of years ago. Whereas if you're trying to, if you're either trying to lose weight, I was trying to gain weight because I was into bodybuilding. So it's like, you always hit these new marks or these like yeah. you're losing weight, losing weight, that number, you hit it, then it's always something lower, something lower. And it's <laughs> right. working to realize you're at that point and say, I'm happy right now. I'm in a good spot. Like, enjoy it. Don't be thinking about how am I going to, what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day. Like, actually sit there and say it to yourself and then really yeah. try to figure out how to re just repeat that process. Yes. Yeah. Totally. It's very woo but it's a, it's a weird thing that I'm slowly starting to realize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we've started many different businesses. We're, today, we're basically talking about the real estate businesses. Um, but in, in all those businesses, and also working in a corporate job, there's always the next challenge, just as you mentioned. Yeah. There, there's not, oh, hey, it's all done, all on cruise control. All the standard works are in place. The profits are good. Everything's stable. That's, that's not a thing. And <laughs> We're more and more in a dynamic world where things change month to month, year to year. Um, and, and so I don't expect that uh, nice stability to ever come about. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things. It, I think more, more people are learning it. Um, I think the older generations are learning it the hard way. I think the younger ones are kind of seeing like between you and yes. myself, like our age group, um, we caught on luckily at this point, but I think everyone underneath us is seeing us and saying, nope, that's not, yeah, that's not happening to me. Right. Um, right. But you were giving some warnings there. So like we talked about this before we started recording where when it comes to REI, real estate investing, and just sometimes people just have the, the, almost like a SpongeBob episode where it's like, he has the dollar signs in his, in his eyes. And it's just like, yeah. you just think you're going to be rolling in cash. So it's easy. I can see how people can just jump into it and then make it like a lot of mistakes. What are some of the things that people should watch out for? What should they avoid? What are some red flags that they, they hear, see, have that like spidey sense going? Yeah. Um, and are you thinking, is your question in the context of real estate or in the context of building up your business? <laughs> I, can, I guess it could be out. either, whatever one you feel more comfortable speaking about. I was thinking more of uh, real estate because there's some people I think if it was someone that had an idea of what real estate was, they're not in the education mode and they're probably not going to yeah. go down there, right. but they want to, how do they avoid that hurt of trusting the wrong person or 
thinking someone had the right idea and then they didn't like what are some of those things to watch out for yeah uh th there are bad actors in the real estate world and industry uh as with many places i think unfortunately <laughs> um at the end of the day i think it's the most important to really trust who you're working with and people have different ways to build up that trust. Um, some people like to, you know, talk and really get to know someone on a business level. Mm -hmm. So for example, I have some investors that'll ask me a hundred different questions on our first, first phone call. Totally fine, but that's their way of getting to know someone. Okay. Uh, great. Uh, some people will um, survey different people in the market. So if I, for example, think you, thinking about someone investing in Des Moines, they might talk to us, they might talk to a local real estate agent, they might talk to a couple of different property managers to, to start to uh, cross-check stories and information and see that it all matches and makes sense. So those are kind of the people that engage their network to make, some, make sure uh, someone is trustworthy. Excuse me. Um, other people will ask for references. So mm -hmm. ask clients and call those people up and see how things went, what was good, what could be improved. Um, I, I guess those are the main ways I see people kind of vetting a company or a trainer um, in real estate. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a lot more tactical stuff um, and I won't share a lot of detail about this, but there are, there's a lot more tactical stuff related to a property itself that you can do, like bring an appraiser in to have a third party check of the value. So of the price before you buy, mm -hmm. bring a professional inspector in to look over everything and tell you from a professional point of view, was this done correctly? And, and there are other sort of very tactical property specific things you can do to do yeah. due diligence. Um, but yeah, zooming out, uh, when people evaluate a company, it's more that talking to other contacts, deep interviews of the, the people, the company, uh, contacting references. What are some of the things, so if they, okay, so they made it past that point, they're working with a company, a group, what are some of the things they should be doing on a month-to-month -month basis to follow up with the group or like what are some of the things that someone should be aware of or at least start putting on their calendar hey i need to start taking care of or being aware of x y and z sure on a monthly or, or if it's quarterly whatever the time frame may be yeah yeah uh, again people are different in yep. these terms um <laughs> What, what I would basically recommend is that about the first three months that someone would own a property in a new location with a new manager, that they're making sure they're reviewing their monthly statements and asking any questions that they have. And, and just make sure they understand and feel comfortable with how the process is working. Um, after those first three months, some personality types will continue that forever. Some personality types, it's fine to maybe go to quarterly. And then after two or three quarters, hey, just look at the annual results. And yeah. that really comes with the comfort level. Um, I, I can share that with our properties, so the ones we own ourselves, um, we're not checking and auditing and asking questions month to month about what's going on. Uh, we're, we're basically managing our property manager on an annual basis. And of course, if there are issues along the way or the market's changing yep. or something, we'll address that. Um, but on our long-term buy and holds, it really is relatively passive. Um, now we're, we're of course a lot more active on the places we're buying and renovating and like yeah. we, doing all that front end work, we're very involved. But on the ones we just buy and hold ourselves, it's pretty limited. Um, and then I, I would recommend that annually, for sure, you have to go through the profit and loss from the property and understand how it's been performing. Uh, 
check out what interest rates are and think about whether it might make sense for you to refinance the property. I would also encourage any homeowners to do the same on about an annual basis or when there is a, a great newspaper headline that catches your eye and you're like, oh, rates are historically low or record low. Okay, maybe, maybe I should look into this. But something like every year, take a look at your financing situation and make sure it's, it's what you'd like. Um, and also in that yearly review, take a look at what you think the value of the house is. So okay. ha has the value gone up $20,000? And now after a few years of owning it, $10,000 of uh, the loan is paid down and I could do a cash out refinance and take like harvest $30,000 out of that property and still own it? Yes or no? So that, that sort of evaluation to me should be done at least on an annual basis. And then how does that work when you're working with the investors, when you're trying to help them find the right location, setting up those like KPIs and those metrics? Yeah. How does that work in general? Is it, again, just depending on their personality? Are they bringing it to you? Are you giving them the recommendations? Yeah. So typically investors will get on a phone call with me um, and, and maybe to share this, about two thirds are, of our investors are remote. So they're typically on like the East or West Coast. Mm -hmm. um, and the other third tend to be local, like they're within a 30 minute drive of Des Moines. Oh, and so those out of state investors typically will get on a, a Zoom or a Google Meet call um, and talk through a lot of details like tax abatements and different neighborhoods and different types of properties and like, like a lot of mm, pretty real estate specific and Des Moines specific things to help figure out which shoe fits them best. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of a calibration on those things over, over the discussion time. Um, they typically have homework from me to, for example, like get on Google Maps and pick some properties we have for sale or that we've recently sold or even that we com have coming in the pipeline and just virtually walk up and down the street and see if this is a neighborhood you want to own a property in because people have different tolerances. Um, but we, we go through kind of this calibration process together, I guess I would call it. Um, for those investors that are willing to fly into Des Moines, or already live here, I'll schedule out typically five to 10 houses that we can go look at um, that are usually in various stages of renovation. Yep. And they can really get a feel for what we do. We're also driving all around the metro here so we can talk through neighborhoods and what we see in different places and get to know each other. And that is an awesome step. I mean, people can know very quickly if this is a good fit for them or not, if they're willing to take the two or three hours and do a tour here. What are some of the big things that they're looking for though? Is it mostly just the neighborhood and kind of essentially if you're going to buy a home, you're just imagining like what I want to live in it, or do you find more people are kind of coming at it with a different angle? Yeah. Uh, and, and what you mentioned is really good to talk about. So Initially, people typically think about, hey, is this a place I would want to live? Um, partway through their education, usually they'll figure out, ooh, the places I want to live in are nicer than the properties that make the most financial sense to buy. And so people are typically living, the people that I work with, are typically living in like A or B class neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Some investors might be familiar with that. We use a star rating system um, for lots of reasons, but it, it has quantitative metrics behind it, like income and unemployment rates and rental rates of neighborhoods and stuff. But um, those A and B properties are more like four and five star neighborhoods. A lot mm -hmm. of people looking to invest in real estate will live in more like a four or five star neighborhood. Um, but the numbers are best for investing in like one, two, and three-star neighborhoods. So a, a macro level tier below where people are typically living. And that, that's really because the rents don't scale up 
as fast as the prices do. So very simple numbers, let's say on a $100,000 house, the rent is $1,000. $200,000 house, the rent is 2,000. Go up to a $500,000 house and the rent will not be 5,000. It will be 3,500 or 4,000. So the, the rents don't scale up as fast as the home prices as you go into those nicer neighborhoods. Interesting. Okay. So I, I think I picked up on a just a part of your question and I actually forgot the main question. <laughs> I'm trying uh, to think. No, but that was all good information because I think that's all very helpful for people to think through if they're debating on investing in real estate, getting out of that mindset and sort of detaching yourself from not necessarily the process, but like the money and where you're putting it in. And that stuff, like the information that you're giving and the education is like only it's so valuable because then like I, a lot of people, I don't realize that one-to-one, one-to-one. And then once you go up that third bracket or whatever it is, for example, yeah, right. going to be five, right. three and a half. Yes. And, but and is there anything else that you think like the major, that's probably one of the main uh, lessons of education. What, is there another big one that you think people should know? Uh, the other, uh, I think, I think what you had asked me before was related to like, what are people learning or judging as they drive around? Yeah. As we do a tour. So I'm going to try to mold these <laughs> yeah. two questions together. Um, people really need to get a calibration for themselves about what type of neighborhoods they're comfortable investing in. So for example, like any of the neighborhoods we invest in in Des Moines, even down to one star, which is the lowest neighborhoods we have in Des Moines, um, I'm comfortable being out, like I feel safe being there. <laughs> um, yeah. Not carrying a gun or anything, you know, walking around, uh, feeling safe. Um, but there are certainly lower and then more middle level neighborhoods. And some people aren't as comfortable owning a house where the lawns aren't kept as well. There's more, you know, trash laying outside, maybe a broken down car at the neighbor's house or something like that. Some people just don't feel comfortable putting the money they've earned into a neighborhood like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's really about people knowing themselves. I can tell you the returns are are good in those neighborhoods and we invest in those neighborhoods but if it's not comfortable to the investor then it's not a good fit for them then we should look at the next level up or two levels up in neighborhood um excuse me and so i think it's it's really about knowing your own comfort level in where you're willing to invest no i love that that's, that's good to know. I mean, I think a lot of people <clears throat> going back to that self-awareness with like their jobs and all that too, you like, I think that will become a more, do you find that it is? Do you find that some of the people that you are working with are more aware of what they're willing to invest in? Or do you find that it's still every time majority people, you kind of have to walk them through it and then they kind of have that thought in their head or is that self-awareness or that thought put in earlier now than possibly five years ago? Yeah, on, on knowing where they're willing to invest, um, investors that haven't had a rental property before typically don't come in with that awareness. Um, and even, even investors, let's say we're working with someone um, from California and they own five places in two or three other cities, and they're thinking about buying in Des Moines, they still need a calibration about Des Moines because it's, yeah. it's different and not one for one, even <laughs> if you use ABC or one, two, three, four, five stars, it's not one for one. So that calibration is still needed. Um, I'll, I'll also answer your question from the sort of life and career realization point of view. As you mentioned earlier, I do see more and more people thinking about their life more than their job. 
sort of uh, living, yeah, working to live instead of living to work. And yep. so I, I've seen that change uh, in myself um, and also in several of our investors and also sort of, as you mentioned, society at large yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, with COVID and related changes. But I think it's been a progression even before COVID. COVID and work from home just kind of gave it a kickstart. Interesting. Or a boost. Well, Maybe not a kickstart, but yeah, yeah. But getting the ball rolling earlier. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. But we're running out of time here. Yes. Um, Chad, I loved the information that you gave. I mean, real estate age, real estate investing has endless opportunities it seems like and that's why it's perfect to have someone like you to kind of guide us through it because it is a complicated process there's a lot we don't know and there's a lot of issues we could probably find ourselves in if we don't have the right person working with us um if someone wanted to reach out to you or someone at turnkey uh how should they reach out to you where how do you want them to reach out Yes. Uh, so the best place to contact us uh, as the company and also me personally is chad at turnkeyiowa.com. So that's mm -hmm. email chad at t-u-r-n-k-e-y-i-o-w-a.com. And I'm sure we can put the website in the show notes yeah. as well. Um, to be honest, we haven't been very active on social media as Turnkey Iowa. Uh, we, we've found honestly that we're not getting good long-term high quality investors that want to work with us from social media. We're finding them other places. Uh, so if you go out and look at, look at our Facebook page, at our Instagram, whatever, there's, there's not a lot of useful information there, but check out the website. Feel free to, to contact us and always happy to chat. Well, thank you so much, Chad. I will talk to you.